The Mitchell's Front Page Podcast is brought to you by Geelong Bank. Listen live on 94.7 The Pulse, Mondays and Tuesdays from 9 till 11. Now on Mitchell's Front Page, On the Road with Toby Hagan. Good morning to you, Toby. How are you? Morning, Mitchell. Very well, thank you. Well, yeah, a bit of a tough uh, week here in Victoria with a very public incident of drink driving. Um, And it was fascinating to talk to the TAC last week about um, passive alcohol sensors in cars and this idea that they could actually be rolled in every vehicle and it can detect the driver and their current level of alcohol and immobilize the vehicle if they are um, likely to be so drunk that they'd be unable to drive safely. And uh, they were talking about how it wouldn't be off-put by people in the back seat or the front seat, just the driver these sensors would pick up. So that's the future of perhaps drink driving policy in this country. Yeah, look, I think it's interesting using technology like that, and I'm uh, I'm not opposed to it, to be honest. I think it's um, I think that sort of stuff could potentially work well. I guess the question that a lot of people will have will be uh, the cost of it, and and as you touched on, I guess the reliability of it, whether it's going to be uh, uh, be picking up the right person in the car. But um, uh, but you know, if this sort of thing can have an impact on on road safety, then I think it's uh, it's absolutely worth looking at. Now, Toyota they've unveiled their first battery electric vehicle. It seems strange to me that maybe it's taken this long to get to that point when the Prius back in the day used to be sort of on the cutting edge of what was the future of uh, vehicles. I think you've nailed it there, yeah. I mean, look, this is the thing. Toyota was on the cutting edge of um, of hybrid development and they have led the uh, the discussion about hybrids for, for over two decades now um, and it's really paying off now from a sales perspective. And Toyota's argument from the start of that was um, that they wanted to get in early, they, they wanted to show this technology could work and obviously uh, uh, then develop it into something that it has become, which is a, a big volume uh, big volume player. Um, so it is astounding that they've taken so long to get to this battery electric uh, side of things. Um, this car, the BZ4X, which is the uh, BZ stands for Beyond Zero, so it's a new sub-brand that Toyota's creating. And the BZ4X will be the first one of them. Uh, it's not going to arrive in Australia till late next year. So, you know, most of the mainstream brands now have at least one EV in their lineup. Probably the two that stand out as not having them in Australia are Toyota and Volkswagen. Volkswagen is doing plenty overseas and is pushing hard to get those cars to Australia. They're not there yet. But, um, but yeah, as you say, I mean, it, it has taken an awfully long time. Interesting car, though. I mean, this BZ4X, it's a... Um, a, a sort of a mid-sized SUV, fractionally bigger than a Toyota RAV4, but it's built on a bespoke EV architecture. So from the ground up, it's created as, as an electric vehicle and it's um, uh, it, it's not really going after... It's funny, you look at a lot of the the, uh, the new EVs and they come out with, with pretty impressive performance, you know, 0 to 100 in sort of um, levels that a supercar was doing 10 or 20 years ago. Uh, Toyota hasn't bothered that with that with this car. They're saying it'll be available as an all-wheel drive and a front-wheel drive, which is quite unusual for a, uh, an electric car, but um, uh, they haven't gone big on performance. So the acceleration, for example, isn't uh, necessarily out of this world. They are focusing instead on technology. They're going to have an optional yoke-style steering wheel, so a sort of uh, air- aircraft-inspired steering wheel, and it's going to come hooked up to a... Um, uh, a steer-by-wire system that they say you can have your full steering input or full lock-to-lock in a 150-degree arc. So so less than half the, the spin of the steering wheel and you're going to have uh, go from one full, full lock on one side to full lock on the other side. 
Um, so you don't need to take your hands off the steering wheel. You don't need to go over and around like you do with a current car. So that'll be interesting to see how that works. Uh, but the big thing they're really focusing on with this car appears to be battery longevity, which really builds in with... Um, uh, with Toyota's, uh, I guess, one of their prime sales pitches, which is reliability, durability, lasting longer than your average car. And um, and they're saying that this BZ4X will absolutely do uh, do that. They're saying that uh, after 10 years, 240,000 kilometres of driving, that they think the, uh, the battery will still have at least 90% of its original capacity, which, uh, to put that in perspective, most EV brands guarantee between 70 and 75% of their, uh, their battery uh, the original battery charge after uh, about eight years and 160,000 kilometres. So, uh, so it's a big step up from that. Um, that steering wheel thing, do you think that would take some time to get used to having a steering wheel so sensitive when you're driving? I do, and I haven't gone into details about how it's going to work, but but yes, absolutely. And this is something I think, I suspect what's going to happen is the steering ratio will change uh, depending on the speed of the car. So certainly at 100 kilometres an hour, you don't want to be able to touch the steering wheel no. and have the car darting all over the place. Um, and it's not the first time. So BMW did was, was, I think, the first brand to do that variable steering ratio depending on um, depending on speed. BMW did it, oh, it would have been 15, 20 years ago now with a, with a 5 Series, and they've, they've um, done it with other cars since. Um, and it works very well in those because you don't have to put in anywhere near the steering input at low speeds, so parking speeds, for example, and when you want to hang a U-turn and so on. But uh, once you're on a freeway, and obviously with BMW, they design them for autobahns, 250 k's an hour and so on, so they, they don't want that sensitivity then. So yes, I suspect that it will have a variable steering ratio to account absolutely for that because you just, uh, you know, it needs to still feel secure. You need to be comfortable in the car at speed, but have the practicalities that it, uh, it brings at lowest speeds. Now on your website evcentral.com.au you've done a little bit of a review on the Chinese made Tesla Model 3 and comparing that to the American made one. What are the differences there? Biggest difference between these two so, so to put it in perspective the, the, the American made Model 3 it went on sale in Australia in 2019 but from early this year, we started getting the Tesla Model 3 from uh, China, from a new factory in China. The cars look identical, same body, same everything, um, except that the uh, Amer- the Chinese ones have a different battery. So the battery being the most complex and expensive component of an, ele- component of an electric car, it's a pretty important piece. So we wanted to test uh, what difference that made. Found some pretty interesting things too. I mean, it's um, uh, the technology they're using in the newer one. It's sort of got, uh, it's called lithium iron, as in I-R-O-N, rather than lithium lithium iron, I-O-N, uh, that, uh, that most EVs have. So it doesn't use cobalt in the batteries, for example. Cobalt's a pretty expensive uh, uh, component to put in there. So they're basically building a cheaper battery um, to put it in the uh, the newer cars. The challenge with that new technology, the new uh, lithium-ion technology, is that uh, it doesn't have as much energy density. So it doesn't hold as much electricity for the size of the battery. So interestingly, though, Tesla actually increased the range of the car when they bought out this new model. And the only way they could do that was put more batteries in there. So one of the first things we did was weigh the cars, put them on a set of scales. And as it turns out, the new one uh, is 119 kilograms heavier than the old one. So there is actually a fairly big difference in terms of the weight. We thought that would then affect performance. Um, It's actually from a 0 to 100 kilometre an hour perspective, the new car 
um, with that heavier battery pack is actually marginally faster, about a tenth of a second faster to 100 kilometres an hour. So it's actually supplying more power to the bat to, to the electric motor to overcome that additional weight. So you got more performance. Um, it actually charged faster as well and um, had about the same range. So we found very few negatives. The one negative we did find, it used about 7% more energy. So you had to put about 7% more electricity into it to cover the same distance. And, and that's pretty much purely as a result of that additional weight, the uh, cutting around the extra 119 kilograms. Obviously, uh, obviously you need the energy to move that. But uh, as I said, not a whole lot of negatives there. It was uh, it was mostly positives. And while this is going on, a lot of talk over the last couple of weeks about the stock market value of Tesla. Yes, so look, um, last week I think it was it topped one trillion US dollars, which is just incredible. I mean, there's still companies ahead of it, such as Google or Alphabet, um, and Apple, for example, and Microsoft and so on are still ahead of it in terms of the valuation. But Tesla actually went past Facebook to uh, to be the most valuable uh, car brand in the world by a long shot. It's almost now four times the value of Toyota. Um, and Tesla, as a as a brand, according to the stock market, is worth more than the combined value of Toyota, Volkswagen, Daimler, which is effectively Mercedes Benz, General Motors, and Ford. So, um, and you can throw a few more onto that too. So, an unbelievable valuation there that um, I guess suggests that the you know the, the stock market actually expects a heck of a lot more in future mm. from um, from Tesla. And this is something I saw another analysis piece on it, uh, looking at the price to earnings ratio, a typical sort of measurement of the value of a company, and um, so. They looked at some of the tech companies that can have a pretty high price to earnings ratio of, you know, maybe 30 or 40 or even 50. Um, most companies sort of hover around the 10 or 20, something like that. And Tesla is over 300. So it's clearly, um, as I said, clearly the market is thinking this company will be making a heck of a lot more money in future or the share price will drop in future. But um, either way, it's a pretty big valuation. But then you start to think about, well, how much higher can it go if it's already that 300 ratio? Maybe it's peaked. I don't know. Maybe it can go even higher. Yeah, I mean it's it is phenomenal, I and mean, you know people two or three years ago when this when the, the share price was a tenth what it was now, were saying, oh well, Tesla's already overvalued, and it's you know it's it's far too valuable for 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 what they're doing currently, um, but it's not really being treated as a traditional car company in that way, and this is the thing I think this, the stock market and investors, particularly private investors, and I think a lot of them get wrapped up in the wow, this is the the new future of motoring. Um, they're valuing it very much on almost a tech play more than a traditional car company play because soft, uh, Tesla's very big on software, very big on technology, and it's obviously very innovative. Um, they do struggle sometimes on the on the car making side of things in terms of the quality of the cars they produce, how many or how fast they can bring this market, all that sort of stuff. So, um, you know, they're still learning, but uh, I think the market obviously uh, loves the fact that. Um, that they are pushing the boundaries and, and changing the market. And is Tesla, I remember talking to you about its um, bottom line, is it consistently profitable now quarter after quarter or is it turning losses? What's going on? So the last two quarters, they just actually released their last profit um, uh, results uh, a few weeks ago and uh, the last two quarters they've made a very healthy profit. So um, in excess of uh, a billion US dollars for both quarters. Mm. So yes, yeah, still making money. 
Um, but again, making nothing like the money. I think Toyota makes about 10 times more in terms of profit, um, obviously building far more cars. So Toyota as a car company is, is making more profit. It's producing a lot more cars. Um, but somehow Tesla is, uh, is valued at almost four times the price. Now, the new Range Rover unveiled last week. A friend of mine took me for a ride in there. Slightly older Range Rover, but it was still just a great experience, a great car to cruise around in. So I can only imagine what the new Range Rover would be like. Yeah, look, it's it's funny with Range Rover. I mean, this is a car that came out in 1970, I think it was, the original one, and it was a game changer. I mean, it was the first sort of luxury SUV. And even though we've had all these new arrivals of Bentleys and Porsches and so on, there's still a lot of cachet with the uh, with the Range Rover. People love it. They love the design. They love what it does. They love the fact that it's, it's very serious off-roader. And nothing's changed in that with this new generation car. So it's a car that's going to arrive in Australia in mid-2022. They haven't messed with the formula at all. It still looks very much like a Range Rover, um, a lot of tweaking and uh, and obviously it's bigger than before. It's going to have the option of seven seats for the first time. Um, so there's a whole bunch of newness in there, but uh, still very much uh, adheres to that uh, those Range Rover expectations. Um, a lot more opulence, a lot more luxury in the cabin, and they're, they're throwing some technology and so on at it and certainly more rear seat space and so on. But uh, probably the, big, the biggest thing I found in there was that uh, they said that uh, in 2024, they will have a full electric version of the Range Rover available. So, um, yes, they're still doing petrol and diesel cars now, and they've actually got a plug-in hybrid one as well that will be coming to Australia late next year. But uh, that full electric version is potentially uh, the next game changer for them. So um, it'll be interesting to see how they make it live up to those Range Rover expectations, but obviously driving purely on electricity. And uh, finally, it's interesting that Clearly, over time, cars get worse with age, but there's one brand that's saying actually cars can get better with age because of software updates. Yeah, that's right. Polestar, which is sort of like the electric vehicle offshoot of Volvo. So it's got a head office based in Sweden. It's got manufacturing facilities in China. Uh, We'll have the first... Polestar car, the Polestar 2 will be on sale in Australia um, in, uh, I think it's in the next few weeks actually they'll uh, they'll start retailing them with deliveries early next year and uh, yeah, they're saying over the year software updates are, uh, are the big one for them um, they've introduced a few already for the cars that are available overseas and so they've managed to eke out a few more kilometres of range add some more functionality and so on. And the other thing that's got this uh, this Polestar is it's, the, it's one of the first cars on the market with Android Automotive so instead of creating their own operating system inside the car for the infotainment, they've handed it over to Google and said, you, you guys look after that side of it. You know a fair bit about tech and uh, leaving that to them. So you can then have third-party apps um, and a whole bunch of choices in terms of the functionality you have on that screen. So it's um, uh, so it'll have that as well, and that's something that, again, will improve over time. But we actually interviewed the, the CEO of Polestar last week, and, um, and, yeah, he said some pretty interesting stuff in terms of software. He said that currently the biggest department, the biggest spend they've got uh, in the company is with research and development. Um, they, yeah, sorry, is with uh, software research and development. So they, uh, they do a lot of work on that software side of things. And they're, um, uh, they think it's just a hugely important part. And as I said, the over-the-air software updates, the ability to upgrade the car as you do with your smartphone now, upgrade it remotely using an internet connection, 
uh, or data connection generally is um, is obviously something that can improve the car over time. Smart move on that Android Auto bit because I remember you saying years ago that uh, car companies aren't software companies and, you know, the interfaces on cars can be a bit clunky and I remember driving with someone in a brand new uh, Volkswagen and, yeah, it's so true. Even in the newest cars, the onboard software for entertainment and things, it's still a bit clunky and not that easy to use. But as soon as you plug in Apple CarPlay or Android Auto, it makes a big difference. So if you can have that natively on the car, um, probably a lot better. Yeah, absolutely. And that's something, as you say, I mean, the, the car companies haven't traditionally done a great job with that. I don't think they've valued it too much. And Tesla's probably changed the game a bit there, showing, hang on a minute, if you spend a bit of time on this stuff and put a bit of energy into it, suddenly it can pay back in terms of people really loving it instead of just dealing with it. And, um, and yeah, as you say, Volvo, uh, uh, Polestar and its parent company, Volvo, handling, handing that over to, to Google is certainly a step in that direction. The one challenge is, Will this sort of thing be reliable and so on? And that's one of the things with cars. You, you don't have to necessarily reboot them or, uh, or or try again to uh, to get them going, as you often, uh, I find, you often do with a computer or a smartphone where mm. they'll sometimes glitch and you've just got to restart them. Um, but I have had some issues. I've, I've driven a Volvo with this Android Automotive and I had a couple of little, little glitches with that that suggest maybe um, they do need to do a bit more work on the reliability side of things, but certainly the functionality side, it's uh, way up there. Yeah, I've actually found it in a car that I drive sometimes. There's no audio at all occasionally and then you have to restart the car and you just sometimes wish there was that on-off switch or a reboot button to reset the software. Yeah, yeah, yeah absolutely. But uh, anyway, hopefully it'll all get better. Well, thanks for being on the program. Appreciate it, and we'll talk to you in two weeks' time. Sounds good. Thanks, Mitch. Thanks, Toby Hagen. They're the editor at evcentral.com.au. The Mitchell's Front Page Podcast is brought to you by Geelong Bank. Listen live on 94.7 The Pulse, Mondays and Tuesdays from 9 to 11. Or search for Mitchell's Front Page on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram or wherever you get your podcasts.